Hello and welcome to the Private Practice Made Perfect podcast. I'm Kathy Love. I started life as an OT, had a, an amazing, crazy private practice which I sold. And what I do now is help allied health business owners create a business that serves them, the time, the money, the joy that they absolutely deserve. And this is where my idea for the podcast started. What I want to do is to capture how hard allied health business owners in Australia work to achieve their dreams, to support their teams, to create amazing outcomes for their clients. So sit back, beverage of choice, drive safely, walk carefully, however you're listening in, and I hope you absolutely enjoy. Welcome, 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 Donna McGeorge. Good to have you back. Oh, thanks, Kathy. Love coming on your show. Oh, I see what you did there. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. There you go. Early morning, all good. So for those uh, listening in and getting uh, a dose of Donna in their ears for the first time, Donna is a speaker, facilitator and consultant with over 20 years experience having uh, worked in environments like L'Oreal and Australian Red Cross Lifeblood, also the best-selling author of now three of my favourite books. And um, a lot of people listening, Donna, will have heard me rave, rave, rave about the first two hours, the 25-minute meeting. And now you've got an extra one in the in the briefcase, um, mm-hmm. the one-day refund that I think we need to get into and have a bit of a, a chat about as well. But let's start with your... Um, your commitment to being the productivity coach and whether or not people feel that they're productive and whether they really are? You know, it's such an interesting question because I think what you're kind of asking me there is what does productivity even mean? Like how do I know I'm being productive? Yeah. You know, and so the first thing I always think about is, you know, think if, if, if your loved one or the people that you live with or the most important people in your life, Uh, I was talking to them at the end of the day and I said, what are they like at the end of the day? And if they said, oh, don't go near them because they're grumpy and they're tired Mm. and they've got no words and they're worn out and they're exhausted, then I'd say, oh, I'm not sure you're being your most productive self. But if they say, oh, they're enthusiastic, they're excited, they're pumped that they got all this amazing stuff done, then I'm like, okay, maybe you're on the right track. So one of my first measures is how do you feel at the end of the day? Have you got nothing Mm. left in the tank? which means you're really not showing up as your best self to the most important people in your world. Or if you've got stuff in your tank to enthusiastically engage with the most important people in your world. So often I hear I've got nothing left for the family at the end of the day. And that's exactly the illustration of it, isn't it? Yeah. And you know, and I think it's a thing we forget. So we think that productivity is all about work. I, you know, I ticked off a pile of things on my to-do list. I did a bunch of meetings. I, you know, got done what I needed to get done. Yet at the end of the day, you know, for what purpose? Mm. So I think we sometimes forget why we work in the first place. And it is for the people, things and activities that fill us with joy. Um, And so, yeah, if you, and if so, if you're not showing up in a good state (laughs) to do that, then I'm not sure you're being terribly productive. I'm going to cross-reference to uh, your book, The First Two Hours, and one of the key takeaways for me in that book was actually the last two hours. And it's something that I have done 
reasonably well, but also reasonably inconsistency inconsistently is mm-hmm. spend the last amount of time, whether it's two hours, in my case, it's often a little less, closing down the day so that in fact, you're actually just turning the lights off on the day so that you can give yourself the best chance of getting home in decent, decent shape. You know, a lot of people say to me, um, my life is so chaotic. I'm on this roller coaster of whatever, or more like a hamster in a wheel, really. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I say to them, the best place to start is the end of the day. Yeah. So it's Set not about for a good day. Exactly. It's not about saying, you know, tomorrow I'm going to be better. No, it starts like so any of your listeners right now who are thinking, I really want to start to get my act together. It starts today at around 4, 4.30 where mm-hmm. you stop, you take stock yeah. of where you're at. Um, you you make some decisions about what you'd like tomorrow to look like and you set yourself up for as much success as you can so you start the day clean. Now, that can even be, for me, I've got little rituals. As you say, you kind of put a full stop at the end of the day. Little rituals like, um, and this is actually out of, a little bit out of um, the One Day Refund as well. Here's a little bit mm. of crossover for the two, mm. is where I I mark out the end of my day so I can cleanly start my Uh, personal time. So it's hiding at my desk and putting my cups of tea away and, you know, shutting everything down and wiping up crumbs if I've had a bicky with my cup of tea or something. And it's kind of so that I come back the next day and I have this super nice workspace to start my day with. I know that sounds like I'm being someone's nana, hiding up your workspace before you, you know, finish up, but gee, it's powerful when you come in fresh um, first thing in the morning. Well, you've met your sister, Nana, because that's exactly my routine as well. I will even go as far as a quick little wipe and I will close down all my technology. I will literally close the lid on things um, and prepare for the next day so that my pen and notebook are just totally ready to go. But it's the decluttering um, and that motor and sensory experience of, yeah, yeah, you know, Tuesday's done. Thank you, Tuesday. Uh, yeah, and, and walking out, walking out the room. I've even got funky mental rituals about when I walk through my office door and close the door behind it, and things like that. Well, they're the funky, interesting things that we learned over three years of being in lockdowns and working from home, and depending on your circumstances, how many people did you have schooling, working, whatever in your yeah. home, and how you really created strong boundaries around that became quite critical. But, you know, I'm just wondering, maybe you and I are of an age and maybe some of your listeners might be as well. I came from the clean desk policy world. So back in the olden days when I worked in a big organisation, we didn't pack up each day and have to put stuff away. Like it was absolute clean desk policy. Yeah, yeah. Let's use um, that uh, statement around COVID and all of the things. And for listeners, Donna was just waving her arms around on that one. <laughs> what were your motivations for writing the One Day Refund? Like, yeah, where did this come from? Well, it it came it came from a kind of two two things. It came from a conversation with my daughter actually, who uh, was working like all of us, working from home, and but also trying to have a life. You know, because weekends became a bit. You know, if you were able to get out, if you were able to get even just 5Ks from where you lived, all that sort of stuff, um, she was in Victoria. <clears throat> and uh, she said to me one day, you know, sometimes I just wish I had an extra day on the weekend because sometimes I get to about 4 o'clock and I realise I haven't really had much of a weekend. I've been still busy doing stuff and I haven't had any time to rest. And that got me thinking about, okay, so she's she's saying that her life is so full that she could use an extra day. But what really got me going was 
again, because I was living in Victoria um, during some of the most strict lockdowns in the world and people working from home and the average commute for people in a strip in Melbourne in particular, it's about an hour door to door to get to work. And so we didn't have to commute anymore. And so that gave us back two hours every day. And over a week that gave us back 10 hours. And when I asked people what you would do, what they did with that time, um, you know, if I asked someone, what would you do with an extra day in your week? They answer it with my hobbies, I'd sleep, I'd spend time with my kids. I'd, you know, you know, do all the things that fill me with joy. But when I ask them, what did you do with your extra 10 hours that lockdowns gave you, it's kind of like they they broke eye contact and didn't look at me and mumbled something around, oh, I extra email, did my projects, mm, you know, started work earlier. You know, basically <laughs> I just extended mm. my work day. And, and I thought that was just a crying shame that there was this missed opportunity. Um, I think we're realising it now as people are starting yeah. to think about shortened work weeks and things like that. We're starting to see that, you know, people can work a bit differently, but, oh, gee, uh, this, uh, th- that really is what got me going. Yeah. Well, your first chapter speaks to that beautifully with the busy addict. Mm. Um, and I've always spoken about the busy badge and how some people wear it with pride, um, which is a bit of a worry, I think. Well, look, again, this might upset a few of your listeners. I know we haven't made best friends uh, enough yet, maybe for me to say something as bold as what just, I'm about to. I'm just going to hit them with it. Right? I know. I just, yeah, just, I'll just stand back. I'll just go <laughs> yeah, put yeah, the kettle stand on. back. <laughs> um, I think busy is the new lazy. And so when we say I'm busy, I think that's a default setting that we're not really conscious of what we're spending time on and therefore we might not be spending time on the right things. And it's just too easy slash lazy to say, you know, how is your day? I'm busy. Mm. What are you doing today? I'm busy. What's happening tomorrow? I'm busy. And I think, no, we've got to stop and be more conscious about and intentional about how we're spending our time. So I try not to say busy, although I have kind of been rethinking this around this idea of good busy and bad busy because it's busy still a relevant word but I like to think of my day as productive you know how was your day Mm. it's productive how was my day constant you know just some different words that really capture you know what was your day like and how are you because I agree too many people just use it as a badge of honor and it used to be it used to be the busiest person in the office was considered Mm. either the most valuable the most productive the hardest worker but it's just not true. I don't think that's going to rattle too many brains hearing <laughs> hearing that. Uh, and I'm with you. I liken it as um, a label for lack of thinking in terms yeah. of what you've actually done and achieved and compared to what you want. It's it's a bit of a cop-out, you know, um, yes. that you haven't really thought about what what you where your time has, has gone. Because you talk about laziness in the book and the need to reframe it and mm, that taking mm. a breath and a pause is actually a really healthy thing as well so uh yes thank you for pointing out that because <laughs> um, I actually do think we it, it's more around um downtime and wasted time and we think of ourselves yeah. as if we do have you know an hour's break in the day and we choose not to do any activity with that you know, is our brain constantly going, am I wasting my time? I'm just being lazy. I should be doing something else. But actually that downtime is is necessary for your brain to have a rest, mm-hmm. right? And so this idea that I'm I'm being lazy if I am sitting around doing nothing needs to be reframed to I'm actually giving my brain a rest so I can be wildly productive an hour from now or tomorrow or whenever I might need to be. 
Um, so yes, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, like all of your books, you've got a model and a visual, and you're just so good at finding those words that are memorable around the the model. The model that um, you kind of have designed here, as I understand it, is about capacity in a way. Um, tell us a bit about that. And I think we're going to be talking about time versus energy management as well with yes. capacity. Yeah, look, I started um, researching the idea of adaptive capacity, uh, which is often used in manufacturing or organisations. It's often used at this very big level. And I thought, I wonder what that means for a human. Um, and, of course, it has its roots in terms of thinking right back to Darwinian thinking around it's not the it's not actually the fittest or the strongest or the whatever that survives. It's the one that's most adaptive to changing conditions yeah. that survives. And, you know, this idea that when change happens and, and often, and I've done a little bit of change work in my past, and we go, oh, people are resistant to change. And I'm like, gee, are they resistant? Or do they just not have the capacity for something different or new? And so I started looking at what, what are the, you know, as you say, the construct of that is mm-hmm. it time and energy. And so if we've got no time and energy, we have impaired capacity. We, this is where it's kind of like, you know, you've got stuff to do, but you just don't feel like you have any time and you just can't think and you're kind of going around in circles, not getting anywhere. And if, you, if you've had that experience before, you'll know it's like sitting, looking at your desk, looking at your email, looking at your work and just going, don't even know where to start. So I won't. So I won't. And so I'll see you spinning, right? Just spinning yeah. my wheels. Um, if we've got heaps of time but no energy, then, then we do have wasted capacity because this often means that um, we may be laying around on the couch binge-watching Netflix shows or doing non, non-important work. Low-value activities. Low-value, thank yeah. you. Um, and if I'm an employee, it might be that I don't know what I should be doing. Maybe I'm lacking a bit of vision or direction or something and so... I'm, I'm, I'm not energized by that. Um, where I find most people that I work with, they're in the, I've got lots of energy, but no time. And this is the state of constant urgency and it's surge capacity. Mm. And the fascinating thing about this is, but we can continue surging and digging deep and finding extra energy um, for quite some time before we fall into a massive hole. And so the risk around this one is a lot of people think they're doing okay because they keep being able to do it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, my, my warning on the label, here's a bit of advice yeah. from your Auntie Donna, is you can't maintain that for long before you do at some level fall in a heap. Um, and there's too much, you know, from a neuroscience perspective, too much cortisol and adrenaline running the system when we're constantly in surge. So what we want to get to is where we've got the energy and time to show up as our best selves and do our best work, and that's in adaptive capacity. And we do that by building in buffers. So I've got the time. I I talk about the difference from being reactive, which is kind of a surge capacity place, and being responsive, which is an adaptive capacity space. Mm -hmm. I've got time to stop, think, assess, and then respond rather than just reacting um, in my busyness, you know? Yep, yep. And just working harder and harder and harder to get more of the things done. That's it. And so adaptive capacity, you'll know you've, you've hit it where you're getting piles of stuff done, but you somehow seem to not be, you know, you still have energy, you can get to the end of the day and, you know, you've still got stuff left in the tank for for the important people, things Mm. and activities in your life. But not only that, you've got the space to take advantage of the opportunities that change presents. So I'm an independent consultant, as you described earlier, coach, et cetera, for hire. And 
I don't ever want to be the person that is too busy to take your call or to do your podcast Mm. or, you know, so I specifically build in buffers of time, which I call my adaptive capacity, because I don't want to be when someone says, and this is a badge of honor thing, right? Hey, Donna, I'd love to talk to you about being on my podcast or doing a piece of work. I'm sorry. I'm just so booked out for the next three months. I couldn't possibly do that. Now, don't With a hair flick. That voice. With, With a, a hair, hair flick, flick, right, you know? Um, and so I want to be the person that says, sure, I've got, you know, I've got half an hour yeah. on Friday. We can have a chat about that. So yeah. I always want to be that person that when an opportunity presents itself, I have the capacity to be able to respond positively to it. And in practical terms, that means I think, or I, as I understand it, that you've got mental capacity for it, you've got um, energetic capacity for it, but you've also got time in your schedule for it as well. That's it. So a lot of people say, how do you, how do you operate? So the, the capacity we want is 15%. It's a 15% rule. So how do I build 15% of buffer in my world? Or how do I just operate up to a maximum of 85% capacity. And that's really hard because, you know, like how do I just dial my energy back? Like, oh, gee, I'm not quite sure how to do that. The easiest way is to just look at your diary and go, how full is it? And so if I'm trying to build in a buffer that gives me some capacity, some room to breathe, some room to think, or in my case, the model is thinking space, breathing space, it gives me just some time to do that. And so the simple thing is it's about an, an hour a day and just on just over an hour a day and about six hours a week. So I say the biggest block of time you can give yourself is the better thing. So for, for those of us who run their own practice, if you're running your own business, mm. um, I actually try to leave most of Friday appointment free up until that week. And then I kind of, that, that's my opportunity time, right? So I go a little bit more than um, 15%. Mm. But for the rest of us, it might be just, you know, no meetings. Just don't have any meetings. Just leave some blank time. Because you know what it's like when a meeting gets cancelled? It's like that glorious feeling of relief. Well, I want that for you every day that you have some time in your diary or some time either daily or weekly where you go, ah, Mm. you know, I can just breathe. Yeah, I'm with you on the Fridays. I worked with a mentor once who said that he used to have, um, I think it was one till two every day unblocked for just all of the stuff (laughs) that Mm. happens for those calls or those Zooms or those catch-ups or if things aren't going right or if things are going right and he can step onto something else. And Mm. he just had this golden rule of um, one till two uh, available. I love that because that's what he's giving himself is just space if if a curveball comes. Yeah, now, exactly right. I, I know I say if a curveball comes, but it's actually when, when. a curveball <laughs> comes. And this is the interesting thing. When your diary is jam-packed and you're 100% on 100% of the time, a curveball comes and, and they come. Um, like yeah. it's, it, it's nearly predictable that something's going to, you know, pull your attention or derail something. It doesn't always have to be negative or massive mm. opportunity lands on your desk and you're like, how do I find the time to, to you know, take advantage of this one? Um, and so when we don't have the capacity built in for that, it, it, it's like we're a house of cards, like things just come tumbling down, things are going to fall in the gaps. So the interesting thing about that, your, your person that you were just talking about, worst case scenario is he's got nothing to do. <laughs> And so well, it just that's takes unlikely. a long lunch, right? <laughs> but, you know, anyone that's listening now is like, nothing to do. You're dreaming. There is always something mm. to do. 
I always something to do. But it gives you choice about what you do or how much or how little you do in that bonus time. I don't even think it's bonus time. I just think it's critical time. But Correct. Yeah. It's not at all a bonus. It's critical. And leaders, absolutely, it's at your peril that you don't create time to think that's what you're paid for. Mm. But what I, what I do with um, a lot of my coaching clients is I say, you know, this is the time where you begin to shift your activity horizon. So if our activity horizon is behind us, we're constantly playing catch-ups, right? We're never getting stuff done. If mm-hmm. it's right on top of us now, that means everything's urgent, everything has to be done by today. But as we begin to move our activity horizon out to in front of us, we start to go, I'm working on stuff that's not due till tomorrow or Friday or next week or next month or next quarter. And for leaders, this is critical because it means they're starting to get ahead of that wave of stuff right you start to get um beyond beyond the crashing waves if you want to continue the metaphor right i reckon that's pretty huge for team retention as well that they're not under the pump by way of you know some secondhand secondhand work horizons well i think it's that you know um sometimes life is busy right sorry for Mm. using a lazy word yep life is busy (laughs) there's always a lot on there's always stuff happening as leaders, you will retain the best people in your team if you give them the energy and time and space mm. to do their best work. But if you're the one that's creating the big crashing waves of work and your people can barely get their head above, you know, the water before the next wave comes crashing down, if that's you, well, that's where it's going to start. It's not your team. And, and no, yeah. no amount of yoga, resilience training, <laughs> meditation or mindfulness. <laughs> Whatever happens, no amount of any of that is going to yeah. help if if the work is just this constant crashing, you know, waves Pressure. coming at them. Running a business isn't just about setting up shop and becoming complacent. It's about showing up for ourselves and our clients with a commitment to continuous improvement. We have to be honest with ourselves about where we're at and where we're going. That means identifying strengths and weaknesses so we can improve. After all, if we're remaining stagnant, how can we scale and build the business and life of our dreams? That's where the NACAR Consulting Allied Health Biz Quiz comes in. We're not talking horoscopes and pulse hope here. This questionnaire is the perfect starting point for you to begin identifying your strengths, needs and blind spots as an allied health business owner. The process is simple. Answer the 14 questions and we'll send you a personalized report that includes actionable steps for you to start taking your business to the next level. Ready to take your business into your own hands? Take the NACAR Consulting Allied Health Biz Quiz today. I want to go back a couple of minutes, Donna, and hear a little bit more about what your readers are thinking about this 85% capacity concept because it probably feels very contra to how a director business owner could be could be working. Mm. Well, <clears throat> about now in, in an interview like this or in a podcast conversation is about when an, uh, someone like me would say something like, well, you know, it's not rocket science, but actually it is. Um, oh. And yeah, it's rocket science. So Ozan yep. Barol, who uh, was a rocket scientist, he was on the Mars rover uh, projects. And when I read his book, and I reluctantly read his book, which is um, Think Like a Rocket Scientist, and I say reluctantly because I'm like, I don't know that I want to stand up on blackboards, you know, writing Mm. mathematical formulas all day. Um, But he said, actually, rocket scientists spend a lot of their time just stopping and thinking. And, in fact, I think it's more than 15%. 
So they spend up to 20% of their time where they protect to just think. Einstein called them thought experiments where he literally would sit, sit in the grass under a tree, eating an ice cream and just letting his mind wander. And so we don't do this enough. We don't let our minds have a break and just wander. And there's piles of research coming through now around the power of daydreaming, around how we have coded boredom as just a feeling of, it's actually boredom is a sign. The restlessness we feel around boredom is actually addiction to activity. And so, you know, this idea that we go, right, now how do I operate at 85%, right? So I've got to now think about, first of all, I block time in my diary. Then even on a weekend, do I just give myself space just to, stop and think and breathe do I have to do I have to walk as fast as I do do I have to you know when I look at a project time frame and I or an activity time frame what would happen if it took a day longer than I immediately originally projected these arbitrary deadlines we give ourselves um and so I think it's around it's a bit nebulous as an art and science to this you know how do I bring 85 percent of my energy to it um, is, is a bit harder to quantify than how do I, you know, protect my time and protect 15% mm. buffer. But people like um, uh, Hugh Jackman, when he did his, when he was doing the preparation and the filming of um, Wolverine. Wolverine, the Wolverine mm. films, he scaled back his the intensity of his workouts so he didn't kind of push 100% hard. like Because I think that's the lie we've been sold. You know, go hard, harder, harder, more, more, faster, faster, you know, heavier, heavier. And he didn't do that. He kind of got to a point where he thought, yeah, I'm comfortable doing this and it pushes me a little bit but not to the maximum extent. Um, And so he shortened the time of his workouts, shortened the intensity or lowered the intensity of his workouts and shortened his filming days. So, you know, traditionally a 10-hour shoot, he negotiated because he's Hugh Jackman, negotiated shorter filming uh, schedules as well so it's really looking at where can I just just pull back a little bit 15 percent's not not as much as you think but mm. it's enough I wonder if there's another badge out there about the um, ego badge or the importance badge or mm. some other badge that we feel we've got to kind of pin on and talk about all of these things that we're doing um, well I like the um, cruising badge right so no one says that you know how's work cruisy right now mm. the moment you say that I'm sure people had an ab reaction to that it's like what that means you're not doing enough like immediately the response yeah, would be judgment. well clearly you're not doing enough if you're cruising but you know what this is the they're calling it the anti-work movement and I find it fascinating you know the quiet quitting the mm. um the what is it minimum uh, Mondays Minimum Mondays, I like that. I haven't heard that one. Minimum Mondays, uh, uh, act your wage is another one I've heard. Oh, my gosh. Right? right? So you, um, if you're paying me this amount of money to do this amount of work, then I'll do that amount of work. I'm not going to do the extra. And, you know, I think it's probably boomers and Gen X that are shocked and horrified by all of that. Um, but, gee, I watch my millennial daughter and also my millennial and Gen Z nieces and nephews, they've got it. There, We've got a lot to learn. (laughs) We have a lot to learn from them. They've nailed this idea that work is just work. You Mm. know, there's some that, you know, want to be CEOs by the time they're 27, go for your life and do what you need to do. But, gee, there's a huge percentage in that generation that are just saying, this is my capacity. 
Yeah, I'm clear about that. This is how much I get paid. I'm happy, and you know, they, and then happy to take lower wages. It's not they're demanding mm-hmm. work part time. Yeah, or work part time. Yeah. Absolutely, they get it. They just get it. Yeah. You mentioned something earlier uh, that I think we should move on to, and that's around the thinking space and the breathing space, mm. living space, working space. So mm. it's another kind of space framework mm-hmm. in, your, in your book. Paint, uh, paint the picture on that one, please. Sure. So I, you know, models, as you pointed out earlier, I, I do good models. I do do good models. You do. You do really good models. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, and that's largely because my publisher likes them. So, you know, if I'm doing the book. Do you think visually like that, though? Yes, I do. I've yeah. always thought a yeah. bit visually that way. And, you know, frankly, it shortcuts. It shortcuts meaning, like meaning that it mean, meaning about meaning, uh, meaning that people can get the idea quickly. So I do love a good yep. model. <clears throat> and so this one kind of is, if you imagine an XY axis um, across that has a uh, uh, mental capacity at the top, physical capacity at the bottom. And then across the y-axis, we've got um, physical, uh, sorry, personal and professional. There you go. Just had Mm -hmm. to think about that for a second. And so, look, there are arbitrary divisions, but basically what we're saying is that to to, um, have a bit of space, to get our adaptive capacity happening um, from a mental perspective, mental capacity and, and professional life, we need thinking space. But most leaders come to me and say, I just don't have any space to think. And so from there, we need to just create some, again, whether it's a, an hour a day or, you know, if, if you're following the first two hours methodology, you might protect two hours of your day to do your most important thinking before your day becomes the property of someone else's, frankly, if yeah. you're a leader. Um, and so thinking space, you know, can we use thinking space at home? Sure. Um, this is just for ease of, of a drawing. So if we're looking at mental capacity and personal life, it's breathing space. And this comes around because particularly if you're a working parent, you know, you get to the end of your working week and you get up on a Saturday morning and now you're going to take all the kids off to cricket and baseball and netball and all the stuff um, and then birthday parties and then it gets to Sunday at 4 o'clock before your weekend starts. So it's around how do we build in a little bit more breathing space. Um, And there's things in there like, you know, is there friction in your world like, is it hard to find your car keys? Is all the kids' stuff messy? Is your house a bit cluttered? Just how do you move freely around your house? Um, and then from the, um, which is kind of taking us into living space, which is the physical capacity in your profession, in your personal life, is, is exactly around those things. Have, mm-hmm. I, have I got a space that's fit for purpose? Now, this also fits a bit of working space because, you know, if my desk is overly cluttered or my office is overly cluttered, then I'm not going to do my best work. If my house is cluttered and we can't, and it's just not fit for purpose, that we can't fit the car in the garage because it's full of crap, then that tells me your garage is not fit for purpose. So it's about how we really think about our living space. A bit of Marie Kondo stuff in there yeah. quietly. Um, and then working space is around our physical capacity and our professional life. And this is around, have I physically got the capacity to do everything I need to do? Um, one of the things I talk about in there is, do you know why you're working in the first place? So a little bit of a borrow from Simon Sinek that says, and, and um, Stephen Covey, if you really are clear on your purpose of why you do what you do, it uses much less energy mm. on a bad day in particular. And so then we're talking about things like, you know, how do we structure our day? So first two hours stuff comes into there. What are our meetings like? 25-minute meetings. Are we delegating appropriately? Um, so they're the four spaces, thinking, breathing, living and working space. Can I ask, how do you do your thinking? 
Gosh, um, well, there's, there's so many, so many ways. Mm. Um, one of my favorite things that I do most mornings, and I say most because if I said every, I'd feel like I'd be lying, but let's go with most, um, is I do something called a wipe the mind. And so uh, we carry a lot of stuff in our heads. Mm. Now, David Allen, another glorious global authority on uh, productivity, says that the human mind is for having ideas, not storing them. And so I try to keep my head, I know this sounds kind of counterintuitive, I try to keep my head as empty as possible <laughs> when I know I need to create or, or uh-huh. you know, I facilitate and train with groups and it's not useful if my head is full of stuff. It means I haven't got the capacity to, to manage and, and to yeah. notice things and work mm. and have my attention out. So I wipe the mind is I literally sit every morning for about five minutes and I just, everything that, it's like a stream of consciousness, mm-hmm. everything mm-hmm. that comes into my head until literally my brain goes, I got nothing else. It's, now, it's empty. Yeah. Now, sometimes that converts into a to-do list. Sometimes it just gets turned over the page and the next yeah. day I do another one. So that's a really great way that creates mm. some thinking space. Um, I am a drawer. I always have notebooks. I've tried really hard as a productivity guru, mm. for want of a better word, to use some technologies and things like that. <laughs> but I always come back to pen and paper, coloured markers. Uh, yep, thank you. Bullet you point journaling. Kathy, yes, I love the bullet journal method. <gasps> Kathy's so holding up her notebook like, and showing like, me it's so good, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And so when I'm, you know, you know. If you know, you know. And so I've tried it all, um, and so I, but I still keep coming back to notebooks and paper. But I just try to be, because I'm a productivity person, I try to be a bit careful about where I put Because it's never about um, writing it down. It's about finding it later. And so a system for finding it later. So I will photograph it and file stuff so I know where to find it later because that's where digital is really useful, but in the creativity space. Um, And I do have, I've set up my space for it. So I do my best thinking in my office, um, which is, uh, if anyone's seeing a picture of today, it's not here. I'm in a hotel room today. But my um, home office is very, I'm very privileged to have a spacious room that I got fit for purpose cupboards and desks and things put into. It is full of natural light. It has lots of room, comfortable mm. chairs, and I've set it up so when I do want to go have a good think, I do that. But look, you don't even need that. Just go for a walk because I do it's my about permissions, isn't permission, it? Right, but I do my best thinking taking my dog for a walk, mm. and 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 that's when your mind wanders, right? I love a bit of a um a drive along the freeway. So when I'm super, super stuck on something, I'll do two things. I'll throw myself in the pool, which is cold, or I'll get in the car for half an hour. Well, the the car thing is similar to walking in that Mm. um, it's accessing your alpha brainwaves. So our beta brainwaves are the ones, as we know, that jump around, help us, you know, problem solve and think about stuff and connect dots and all that. Our alpha brainwaves are the realms of uh, daydreaming. And so when you're driving down a freeway, you're not daydreaming per se, but your alpha brainwaves are more in charge. You're perfectly safe. They can react and respond, in fact, sometimes quicker than beta brainwaves. Um, But it's that kind of zone, in the zone place. Um, And that's actually where creativity lives, is in your alpha brainwaves. Yep. Also a bit of a fan, I'm a bit of a fan of looking at clouds. Because we have some ripper clouds where we live. So we live in a beautiful natural environment, a bit like where you used to live probably, mm-hmm. but down the beach. And 10 minutes of cloud gazing, tell you, such a reset. Well, 
Well, the Japanese would say, and there's a word for it, and I can't remember it right Ikigai. now. guy. Is that it? No, 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 not icky guy. Oh. That's the that's the things you yeah, love. Circles, that's all the circles. Yep, 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 yep. No, it's tree bathing. Yes. Or forest bathing. Forest bathing. Um, and yep. so there's, you know, going and sitting amongst trees. But given that you live near the water, um, mm. the there is something, there's been studies done about this as well, that looking at water is uh, so calming and so relaxed. It accelerates your states of calm mm. when you're able to look at water. The bigger the body of water, the better. Mm. so a bath probably wouldn't cut it but anywho no (laughs) (laughs) well throw in sunlight and um some breath work and you're kind of good to go can all change very quickly Mm. one of my yeah one of my favorite lines in your book and it was actually part of a heading in one of the chapters towards the end and it's life by design as opposed to one by default Mm. Look, I, I suspect the series of books, if anyone's paying attention, they're going up in increments of time. So it was the 25-minute <laughs> meeting, the first two hours, the one-day yeah. refund. So there's going to be probably a book that's about a week, a month, a month and a, quarter, a, year. a year. I was going to ask Maybe about the next Maybe a quarter book. or a yeah. year. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the last one, because I reckon I'll be in my 80s by the time I'm doing that, is, is a life by design. Because mm. I think this is, you know, there's something about this. So it's either going to be a life by design or the swagger of enough because there's something about knowing that I'm in control and I'm in charge and I'm creating my destiny and I'm the product of my choices and I'm consciously aware of that. That is just so powerful. Yeah. And it's nothing to do with achievements or goals or money or wealth. I mean, it mm. can be if you want it to be, but um, it's more about I'm, I am living my best life and I am fully articulated into that and I'm, uh, I have a very strong internal locus of control around mm. that. Um, and so I'm, 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 I, that's what I'm aiming to have. Uh, mm. And, you know, maybe it does come with a bit of age and wisdom that you recognise the power of that. But I'm watching, you know, back, you know, previous conversation, I'm watching millennials doing it earlier, right? And same with Gen Zs. They're doing, they're deciding that they want to have a life by design much earlier. You know, the boomers thought that you couldn't do it until you retired. And you had to work damn hard to even get to that point. Right, and then you suck all your money away and you sit on all this wealth. Um, And then if you're like my dad, and he'll never listen to this, so it's all good. If you're like my dad, and then all he's thinking about is how much money he's going to leave to the next generation. I'm like, Dad, go spend it. Spend it. Spend it. Yep. I hope by the time you cark it that my inheritance is a rounding exercise if necessary. So, yeah, you know, so this Mm. idea that you don't don't have to wait for something, um, that, you know, you're living the life by design. Um, My niece is about to take off for a year with her kids. She's got three kids under five had accidental twins, um, and they're taking a year off in a caravan. They're having what they're calling their first retirement. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. Now, now my, my baby boomer family members cannot fathom that. They cannot fathom that. Oh, there's some good dinner time conversation Isn't for you a lot. Yep, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> How do you think boundaries fit into this? I think some of the younger generations manage boundaries admirably. Look, I just think they're better at expressing them and maybe this is through the education that they've had. So my experience of boundaries is when you know them, people honour them. 
for some reason, uh, maybe I'll, I'll talk more about Gen X because that's my that's the generation I um, uh, resonate with um, and think I was born in. Um, we felt guilty about setting boundaries and that there was this myth, and it is a myth, that work was first and if I had to put a personal boundary in front of that, um, then that was guilty. That was hidden you know, people keeping their pregnancies quiet for as long as they possibly could because they knew that the the mm. moment, you know, we, work finds out about it or, you know, saying you've got a doctor's appointment when really you just have to go pick up your kids. That just doesn't happen anymore, right? You know, this idea of I've got to go pick up my kids. People end really important meetings because Bob has to go pick up his kids and I love that. Yeah. So I just think it's that they're better at expressing their boundaries mm-hmm. Because I think once expressed, people honour them. Yeah. And that's and that's Robert Cialdini's work. He's been banging on about this in his book. I think it's called The Science of Influence or The Psychology of Influence and Persuasion, something like that. And in that, he he started talking about that. He wasn't necessarily talking about boundaries, but reasons. When you give a reason for something, mm. people typically honour that. Um, so I just think, yeah, we just got to get better at expressing them rather than feeling resentful, right? Because yep. that's my generation's yep. stuff. I resent that I had to hide picking up my kids or sneaking off or all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then one of the last concepts you've got right towards the end of the book, which um absolutely <clears throat> loved and I've got sticky noted and I haven't worked through yet, is 54321. Right. Strategy. I hadn't come across that before, so... Please explain. Right. It's a really cool tool. Now, yeah. I actually, I'm just trying to think of his name. Ryder Carroll. Ryder Carroll, thank you, um, who did the bullet journal method. Yep. I adopted it, adapted it, um, massaged it a bit and fully reference uh, him uh, in using it. So it's this idea that, you know, the five is five years. So we set ourselves professional and personal goals five years from now. Where would we like to be? What would we like to have, do, be, however you like to do your goals. And then we choose one of, well, not just choose one of them, um, but the, the idea is that you've got to tick off one before you start on the next. And so how I use it is I go, what's one of those that I'd really like to put a bit of focus on over the next four quarters? So there's the four, five, four. For the next four quarters, mm-hmm. in order to achieve that, let's say it's, I don't know, um, a savings target, yeah. right? So in my personal life, I want to achieve a savings target of X amount of dollars, let's say. So over the next four quarters, here's what I need to do to make that happen. And then I might choose one of those goals in that and say, okay, so in that case, um, over the next three months, what do I need to do to achieve that? And then pick one of them over the next two weeks, mm. over the next day, what am I going to start on? So this five, four, three, two, one, five years, four quarters, three months, two weeks, one day. And, and the idea is that you're not meant to move on to the next piece until you've done one. So um, if you've read Ryder Carroll's stuff, he, um, I think he's either ADHD or he's on the spectrum in some way, and he really struggled to maintain focus. And so creating a structure like that really kept him tight and um, accountable and focused. It's just such a cool context to understand the activities you mindfully choose to do today have a yeah. context of two weeks, three months and play to a bigger goal. Other, yeah. I think a lot of goal setting gets really stuck in the short term and the long term and you miss the, you miss the glue in between. Well, I think, and this is about living a life by design, mm. right? This is the purposeful nature of it. So five years from now, I want to 
savings target or five years from now I want to be in this particular role doing this kind of work, if I have a bit of a vision for that, then it helps me make decisions today. And that's yeah. for me, that's where the energy savings come back if we go full circle around energy and mm. time that it's, you know, we suffer from decision fatigue if we've got too many decisions to make. And so if I know that I'm heading somewhere and that I can make a decision and one takes me there and one doesn't, gee, that's an easy decision to make. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we've got a couple of minutes left. How how would you like people to read and use your new book? The one that you refund, take back time, spend it wisely. Well, first of all, it's all of my books are designed to be read in about a 90-minute travel time. So if you happen to see one passing through the airport, you grab it at the airport, you sit and read a bit in the lounge, you fly fly between Sydney and Melbourne, and then you'll probably be finishing it up as you're taxiing to the gate. So first of all, they're designed specifically um, to be fairly short and succinct reads, Mm -hmm. and they are full of practical tools. So there's a couple of things to answer your question. You could skim the whole thing and go, ah, actually it's breathing space I need to spend a bit more time and and effort into. So I'm going to dive into the activities and the experiments around that. So you could do it that way Um, or, you know, skim it, get to the end and then go back and look at pieces. That's probably all my books are probably good Mm. for that. This particular one, and I'll give you the link to this so you can put it up with the um, episode notes, is I've also got what's called the capacity quiz And so you can go on and answer um, nine or 10 short questions and then it gives you a report around what specific space you might want to put some um, effort into. So my books are kind of like how I run my workshops. You know, there's some content for you to think about. It's backed up by some good science and studies. Then there's some activities to do and then there's some thinking, you know, some pondering questions at the end. So you know, imagine it was a bit of a training is how I would suggest you you have a look at it. Oh, well, I absolutely uh, love it. As I said, I read it a couple of weeks ago and I literally did the 90 minutes on it or a little bit less um, <laughs> last night to be back through it. So super practical as, as always. Can we get excited about the next book? Well, you could, but, you know, <laughs> um, the, book, the next book's called The Next Two Weeks, Short-Term Activity, Long-Term Results. And so it is really around how when we when we bring our focus to the achievable, mm. um, we can make the unachievable attainable, right? Or mm-hmm. I haven't kind of thought it through yet and I don't yet have a model. But just, just between you and me and your listeners, um, I've just finished writing a book for Wiley. It was done at a massive cracking pace. Uh, called uh, the Chat GPT Revolution. Ooh, Sim- how can you drop that in at the end of a chat com- conversation? Oh my gosh! Um, so, excuse me. The tagline is "Simplify your work and home, a uh, work and life admin." So, Kathy, I'm feeling like you might need to get me on again uh, in the yes. not too distant future, and I can talk about that. That's due for release in July. Oh, fantastic. Um, yes. Oh, that's so good. They asked me if I could write something to, and we've had a really accelerated process. And yeah. in case anyone's wondering, the elephant in the room, did I use ChatGPT to help me write? I it? hope so. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Don't imagine that I sat there just, you know, it was banging out words, filing my nails. It wasn't quite like that. Uh, but definitely it was my thought partner um, mm. in, the, in the writing of the book. So there you go. My actual next book due out in July. Oh, love it. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anything else you'd like to leave listeners with? You can have the last say. Oh, look, my favourite 
thing to think about is um, is do something today that your future self will thank you for. Mm. So, you know, whether it's packing up my bag the night before I'm travelling to the airport tomorrow or where am I going to park my car at this meeting that I'm going to or what, you know, planning what my morning is going to look like. Have I got meetings I'm going to do preparing for those or even booking my annual leave in for three months down the track so I know it's booked in. It's what could you do today that your future self will thank you for. Love it. Love it. Thank you. We will absolutely get you back in for the next book. Thank you so much, Donna. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. For the show notes and other resources, our webinar replays, they're all available over on naker.com.au. And if you're loving what you're listening to, please subscribe. We don't want you to miss out on a single thing. And if you want others to get the same benefit that you've had from listening into these episodes, please share this episode and any of the others forward to any of your other allied health business colleagues. And we are totally here for you. Don't forget for a moment that you can jump on in and book that power call and uh, we can see how we can help you get the best of business done. Looking forward to seeing you there.